Good morning. If you uh, if you have your Bibles, hold them up over your head. Let me see. I want to see them. Curious. I see a look of shame on a few of your eyes. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed. Your tablet will work. Just yeah, your phone will work. Hey, just get some pages you can turn. If you want to borrow a Bible, we got some Bibles for you. Larry's going to pass them out. Um, we, we just encourage you guys to be Bereans, which means you follow along with me, you study, you, you learn, you read what I'm reading, and you come up with some of your own conclusions. And if I'm teaching something that's sideways and you're a student of the Bible, you'll recognize that and you'll be able to fix that. So encourage you guys to follow along in the Bible and kind of will help ex- your experience go a little bit better. If you have a Bible, I use a New King James Version. We're ready for Acts chapter th- uh, 8, verse 26 today. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse number 26. Now, before we get started, I want to piggyback on Pat's announcements just a little bit this morning. Hey, uh, men, I want to talk to you about this ministry called Stake and Study. This is something that Calvary Chapels have started nationwide a couple years ago, and um, we've been invited to go, I've been invited to go and teach in other churches um, Stake and Studies, and Pat went with me one year and 350 guys and um, uh, last year, Pat and I went to, to one that I got invited to teach at, and, um, and, and Pat's kind of caught the vision, and, but, but in order to share that vision here, we need some of you men to catch the vision. So here's the vision. The vision is that we want you to come. We want you to invite your friends. We want you to invite non, non-believers. We want you to invite Christians and anybody that, that, that would want to come. We're going we're gonna to give you a free steak dinner. It's totally free. And then, and then we're going to teach a 30-minute Bible study. And so if we can get you to um, a free steak dinner so that you'll listen to a 30-minute Bible study. We're not faking it. We're not trying to hide it like hiding the track under your steak or something. Like we're out front. We are trying to trick you. We, we want you to trick you to come by giving you a free steak so that you'll hear our Bible study. So, um, so that's the deal. But for, for a steak dinner, it, you might find that you can get some of your guys to come out to stake and study, but but again, it takes you men that are a part of this church to really catch the vision to see this ministry grow and and do what it's what it can really do. And we've seen fruit from it all over the country in this stake and study. So men, please seriously write it down, mark your calendars, put the date down that night. Plan on being here. Plan on bringing a friend. Um, again, it's totally free. I want to get that way out in front. It's it, it's totally free. There was a mention last week. Um, that, that we're looking at, and this is just going to be, again, voluntary, that we want to do some kind of outreach through Stake and Study. And so I don't want to say too much. I'm afraid to say too much. But there's a particular um, avenue of blessing that, that we're possibly going to say, hey, guys, if, if this is what this is, and, and, and this is something that we as a church can help this family, what they're going through. If you'd like to leave five bucks on the table when you leave, every dollar that you leave is not going to go to pay for your stake. It's going to go to this family to bless them um, because they're going through something hard. Then that's 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 the only money that it that that that'll come out. It's a voluntary um, donation you want to make at the end of the night for whatever um, thing that we identify that we want to as a church serve. Amen. Okay, thank you. And then. Um, March 27th, it's a Friday night, so March 27th, you should have that, um, March 27th, write it down in the evening that night, and then um, this card right here is in the back of the seat in front of you, 
Um, it's, a, it's a way that we want to pray for you, okay, primarily. It's also a place where if you're new, you can fill this out. There's some questions you can ask, a connection there. If you want me to call you during the week because you've got some questions or you're new to church and you want to feel some things out about our church, you can uh, mark that box and I'll give you a call during the week. Um, also, um, this is where you leave your prayer request. Mike, right there, raise your hand, Mike. Right behind Mike there, there's, a black, there's two black boxes. One is an offering box if you want to drop your offering in it. The other one is for these cards right here. You fill this out with your prayer request. You drop them in there, and then we'll put them on our, on our weekly prayer chain. They'll last a couple weeks. So if you've dropped a prayer in, and in two weeks from now, you want us to continue to be praying for that thing, you've got to drop another card in, okay? We'll rotate them out about every two weeks or so. And so. But we do want to be praying for you. And then also, if you want to help us pray for our church and for this ministry, you can see Darlene and Kevin. They would love to sign you up to be a part of our prayer ministry team. And you'll have an assignment throughout the week to be praying over these cards and, and over some of the prayer requests that come from our church. Now, listen, people, Christians, talking to Christians, okay? If you're a non-believer in here today, we love you. It's why we exist. It's to tell you about Jesus so that you can leave different than you came. But for Christians that are in here today, I'm talking to you. We, we um, have to be a people that pray, okay? Listen, we have to, have to, have to, have to be a church that prays, okay? As a pastor, I have one job. I have two. My first job is to, is to get our church to pray. And my second job is to keep our church praying. Okay? Well, i got others too. I'm supposed to teach the word and do some other things, clean the bathrooms when they're dirty. But, um, but we've got to be a people who pray. And I have something that we've really, really, really focused on for seven years, going to continue to focus on that, going to continue to try to get creative in ways to encourage you as, as Christ followers in this church to pray specifically for this work, for this ministry, for our county, for our um, Jerusalem, okay? This is our Jerusalem, so we want to pray for our Jerusalem, and then beyond that, we, we, we do want to extend, but we can't exp- extend to our Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world until we first focus and build a light here in our Jerusalem, amen? amen. It's only going to happen one way, is by praying. So Pat, Pat was wondering how many of you guys had a hard time with the, the time change today. I was going to tell him, um, in about 15 minutes, we'll find out when people at 11 o'clock show up thinking it's 10 o'clock. So what should we do when they come in? You know, I, I love it as a pastor. I've been a pastor for, I don't know, a long time now. And um, as a staff pastor, most of my life, as Pat mentioned earlier, I, I did children's ministry for a lot, a lot of years. Um, but in the other one, on, the, on the, the fall one, people show up an hour early instead of an hour late. That was always my favorite time of the year. And this was back in the days right before your cell phones automatically up, updated you. But somebody would show up to, you know, big church and they'd be an hour early and they wouldn't know if there's nobody there. They're looking around like, what in the world happened? Where is everybody? I was like, yeah, it was the rapture. You missed it. <laughs> of course, the first question is, right? Well, what are you still doing here? Uh, yeah, I'm a sinner too. I missed it too, but I'm still here. It's you and me. But I don't know. I don't know what to do when they show up and everybody's here an hour early, an hour late. But if they show up, Mike, I don't know. We'll do something. They walk through the door. They got the hoops to walk through. Yeah, you got some hoops to walk through an hour late, right? And just own it. I, I don't know, but I, 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 hate, I hate losing this hour. I get up really early on Sunday mornings. and So, yeah, you know, yesterday at 10, 10 a.m. is when I started preparing to lose my hour. I changed all my clocks to 11 so that all day I'd be on the new time. I went to bed an hour early. I planned ahead. It didn't affect me. All right. Are we going to study the Bible today? Maybe. The Bible's already open to Acts? 
Okay, let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day, God. Father, I thank you, Lord, for each and every person that's come today. Lord, these are the people that needed to be here today. And God, the people that, that you want to speak to. Jesus, we thank you that you're a God who's really good at talking to people and, and that you're really good about communicating what you desire and your will and your love for us. And Lord, as we just simply are, are people that read the Bible and, and read it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, here, there, here a little, there a little, as we learn your ways, God. And so, Father, teach us today from your word. Lord, help us learn the lessons of, of these um, deacons and apostles and um, leaders in the early church, Father. And this amazing story that we have this morning of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts chapter 8, in verse number 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Saying what? Say it like you mean it. Arise. Say it like you're talking to a group of men who are getting ready to go and fight a war for the first time and you're the general and, and you, you give this big long speech and at the end of it you're going to tell the men, arise and follow me. All right, you ready? One, two, three. Arise. That's, that's what that Bible term arise means. It's such a good word. You find it all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Angels say it. Jesus says it. The apostles say it. So I always like that word arise when I see it. We actually named our youth group arise. If you go into the youth group, you'll see a big banner and it says arise youth. And it's from this idea that when God calls you to arise, and oftentimes that's God's call upon your life and upon my life to arise. And so this angel shows up to Philip and he says, arise. Now I want to, to point out really quickly that Philip, as this angel approached him, Philip is in a place called Samaria. We, let, we read last week. Now, I understand that um, for those of you that were here last week, you've already completely forgotten everything that I said last week. So um, let's talk a little bit about it, because I remember a little bit of what I said last week. Um, Philip is um, in chapter six. He's one of the seven guys that, that, that they raise up as, as leaders in the church, as deacons and elders, because they have this problem in the church between the Hellenists and the Jewish women and the daily distributions. And they come to the apostles and they say, hey, we got this problem. Will you guys help us to distribute the daily goods so that it's done fairly? And the apostles said, no, we won't do that. We're going to commit ourselves to praying in the word of God and, 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 and we'll raise up men that can do these deeds around the church. And so they chose seven men that were full of the Holy Spirit, that, that were leaders in the early church. One of them was Stephen. We studied his life two weeks ago in chapter 7. He became the first martyr of, 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 the, of the church, really. The first martyr of Jesus Christ because the church was born just recently and, and Stephen becomes the first person to die for faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, where we are now, we get another one of those seven guys that were raised up in chapter 6. Um, this guy's name is Philip. And Philip, it says in, in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that persecution arose among the early church that was growing in Jerusalem. And, and what happened was they all scattered to the areas around them, to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts 1.8, so that's 8.1, in Acts 1.8, it says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall have power, dunamis, dynamite power, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. If you look at a map of Israel, you'll see Jerusalem is in the middle. And then Judea is the surrounding donut around Jerusalem. And then Samaria is the area around that. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. 
So for everywhere we go and we plant churches, that becomes our Jerusalem. And then we have our own Judea and our own Samaria and and the uttermost parts of the world. And for every one of us, as the church planted here in Tooele, we focus on our Jerusalem and we're growing our Jerusalem. And eventually we want to reach our Samaria and our Judea and our uttermost parts of the world. And there may be a day where this church has missionaries all over the world reaching the outermost parts of the world. And until God does that, we're going to focus on what's here and continue to grow and continue to reach out. We're reaching a seven-year mark as a church, and I've really been asking God to give us vision for our church. We're in the year 2020. We want to see 2020, right? We want to have clear vision. That's what the conference was about. We just left. In Proverbs, God says to you and me, he says, my people perish for lack of vision. And so he wants us to be people that are visionary leaders and that we're visionaries, that we see into the future and not in some mystical, supernatural way, but that as children of God and as as Christ followers, disciples of Jesus who spend time at his feet, that God does and Jesus does give us vision that goes beyond our little circle. I never want us to be inward focused here in our church. And I think we need to some degree, right? We want to focus on the, the hospital that God gives us on a Sunday morning. And we ask that God brings broken people that we can love and we can encourage to follow Jesus and try things God's way in their lives. But as we do that, we want to do that well. But we don't want to stay there. We want to to grow and we want to affect our our Judea and our our Samaria and our uttermost parts of the world as we grow and just asking God that that we, we were people that have vision. I think for you and I, Personally, I can get behind something and I can really feel more a part of something that's, that's making a difference in other places and not just, just where we are and not everything that we, we have is just spent here to make our lives easier and cushier. And, and you know what's amazing, really? As a church, listen, church, if, if we become a really generous church in our, in our doing things for missions and people outside of us and whatever it is that God leads us to, now we're going to get involved in nothing of the flesh, oh, there's this homeless ministry and man, they have a lot of need and it would be great to get involved there. I'm sure it would. But unless God tells us to get involved there, we're not going to get involved there. We're, we're going we're to listen and when God says, hey, go do this or go do that or go do that and really make sure that the things that we do are led by the Holy Spirit. And God will lead us because if God doesn't lead us to help that, that homeless mission, God has somebody else's, his children somewhere else, a church or a place other that he's going to use if that's his will. But we, we, we can't help everybody and, and make really any difference at all. But we can help what God has led us to help as people of vision. It's really something that, you know, I, I want to see us move into that, that, that area of vision as we move forward. I want to see us begin to teach and, and, and raise up within ourselves missionaries that even short term, where we start doing some short term missions and exposing you guys to what, what's going on around the world and, and really amazing things that God's doing all over the place. You could take a missions trip to the church that I left from, Yucca Valley, and, and you could see amazing move of God's spirit in the Bible college and all the things that are going on there and, 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 and catch a little bit of vision. You know, we just came back from Tucson, Arizona. Big, huge mega church. I mean, the, the church sanctuary seats like 2,000 people and just a big church, you know, but you don't see that anywhere here. And you think maybe that doesn't exist, but it exists all over the, all over the world, all over the United States. You know, there's only a few places where... Where, where, where we're the minority. You know, in most places, that's, that's just not the case. But for people that have never seen or never experienced it, to, especially for our young people, getting them involved with some other youth groups and some other places where we're seeing something a little bit different. But getting out. But anyways, um, 
the angel of the Lord, verse 26, were there, spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So Philip, um, um, I got off track a little bit, I'm sorry. Philip was in Samaria, and what was he doing there? They were, they were having a revival. Samaria was that place in Israel, it's still there to this day. About 900 Samaritans still live in Israel to this day. But, but Samaritans was a big population in Jesus' day. Do you remember in John chapter 4? It says, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And I love that wording. Whenever God says this about your life, Jerry Sinner must needs go to Tooele Springs, Calvary Chapel. Like when God has a must needs um, thing or, or, or you must needs go left or go here or go there, it's a divine appointment. It's something that God has that he wants to do in your life. Now it says Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Now you have to understand, in order to go to Samaria where Jesus was headed, he had to go way out of his way. So it made no sense geographically for Jesus to go that way. But there was a woman at the well that was there who had five husbands and the one she was with now was not her husband. You guys remember the story? And she was drawing water and Jesus said, if you draw the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. And she's like, Really? You got some good Gatorade, man. I could drink it and I'll never get thirsty the rest of my life. She's thinking like he had this like Powerade that she'd never have to get thirsty again. And Jesus said to her, I am. I am this water, the living water. And then and then he goes on. He shares the gospel with her. She goes back. She tells the people of her town and they come and they start getting saved. Well, now years later, Philip is being scattered and Philip is looking for somewhere to go share the gospel. And he remembers John chapter four. And he says, Jesus was there and a woman got saved there and and, and men of Samaria got saved. I'm going to go back there and check up on this process. And so Philip goes back, I'm sure led by the Holy Spirit, and, and he begins preaching Jesus to the Samaritans. And what happens? Many of them are getting saved, and, and he's baptizing them. It, it's such a big outbreak and revival and move of God's Spirit that Philip sends back to Jerusalem, and he says, hey, man, send some help. And they send the big dogs. Peter and John, they head up to Samaria. And remember what it says they did when they got there? They began to lay hands on these folks that, Peter was pre- or that Philip was preaching to, and they received the Holy Spirit. There was that guy, Simon, who was there, and he saw Peter lay hands on people and then received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said, man, can I buy that trick? And they said, man, you can't buy this. Your, your money perish with you, Peter told him. And we talked about Simon last week. Well, Philip is there in this setting, and, and, and the Spirit of God is moving, and lives are changing. And it's in this moment that the Holy Spirit, or not the Spirit this time, in verse 29, if you peek down, it says, Then the Spirit said... But in verse 26, who's speaking to Philip? This time an angel. I think we talked about this last week already, so I don't have to unpack it again. But, you know, it doesn't give us any idea of this. Did this angel appear in in human flesh, as we see sometimes in the Bible? Sometimes um, Balaam, I'm sorry, yeah, Balaam saw an angel, and and he saw an angel still in spirit form with a big sword looking seven, ten feet tall, ready to cut his head off on the road and his donkey veered off because his donkey could see the angel but it doesn't really tell us of this angel how it is but god sends an angel and tells philip to go arise and go toward the south along down from jerusalem to gaza this is desert now when philip heard this verse 27 it says what did he do so he began to to argue with the lord 
he began to rationalize pros and cons of leaving and staying. Well, Lord, there's a great revival happening here in Samaria, and I'm being used. I'm kind of popular down here because I have some friends, Peter and John, that are really popular, and I got to call them, and they came up, and they're my buddies, and God is moving here, and people are seeing me be used by God in Samaria. I I was the one, Lord, who had the vision to bring the gospel back to Samaria, and I knew you were in it because now Peter and John are here, and things are blowing up. I got this thriving ministry. What do you mean you want me to go? And yet it doesn't say that, right? It says that God spoke to him. And listen, it really didn't make sense. And it says he arose and he went. Did God give him the whole plan there in verse 26? Arise, go down to, um, go down to this, this strip of, of desert. And there you're going to meet a man, an Ethiopian eunuch. And there you're going to preach Jesus to him and baptize him. And this Ethiopian eunuch that you led to me is going to go back to Ethiopia and he's going to share the gospel and the gospel is going to penetrate Africa. This is an important mission that I have for you, Philip. I want you to go and be used mightily by me. Is that what God said? He would have missed all that because God didn't give him the whole instruction. God told him one thing, go, and it didn't make sense. What has God told you that doesn't make sense? Anything? You know, listen, I want to be very careful, and I want you guys to hear me on this. Because I think that we're, we, we are a people, and we sing songs about it. We walk by faith. Listen, we want to be a people that walk by faith. You know, where, you know where I want to be in my life as a Christ follower? I want to be standing on the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army coming at me, sure death, if God doesn't show up and do a miracle. I, I want to be in a place where I have to so rely on God to show up that if he doesn't, I'm going to die. I want our church to be in that place. That we're, we're a people that rely on God. And we, we, we put ourselves in a position that, man, God has to show up and do a miracle. We're a people that live by faith. And we want to step out in faith. Do you know if you're not standing on the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army bearing down, you'll never have a great story to tell. Because how does the end of that story go? God showed up and parted the Red Sea and we walked through on dry land and the Egyptian army pursued through and our enemies came after us and God closed the Red Sea on them and we're fine today. You know, and having those, those faith stories to, to, to walk by faith, to live by faith, to have faith and just, you know, that we want, we want to have faith stories and we'll miss those. And God doesn't always give us the entire plan all at once. He gives us one step at a time, usually. And he wants us to trust him in that. Amen? Now, now here's the thing as people who walk by faith. And, and I think this is something that's new to me. I think kind of a new kind of revelation for me in my walk that I, I think is, is pretty cool. Something that I've been really focused on lately or something I saw as I taught through Hebrews this last time. And as a church, you guys know we just went through Hebrews. You know, I, I'll challenge you. Show me. Start in Genesis. You can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You have the entire Bible to use. Find one person in the Bible who, who had to step out in faith and didn't know what the will of God was. Listen, to step out in faith in your life for the Lord, it does not mean, we, we're not, you know, this blind faith. Like God told me to, to, I don't know, whatever. I don't even know how that works. I don't know how you could even, you know, like we're supposed to be people of faith, so we just, just do something. No, that's not the way it works. 
every time in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, every one of the members of the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11, they first knew the will of God. They didn't know it all. They didn't have the whole thing, but they knew the first step at least. Listen, you, 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 you know the will of God, and then you step out in faith. It's not stepping out of faith to not know the will of God. That's just foolishness. It's not even practical. But once God tells you something, I don't care how crazy it sounds, if you know it came from God, the angel of the Lord showed up and spoke to you, step out in faith. Amen? So Philip didn't know where he was going. He stepped out, and he went to the desert. It was like when God showed up and told me, leave your desert and go to Tooele. What? I ain't going to Utah. I don't even like Utah. I didn't. Um, but, you know, God didn't tell me the whole thing. He told me to go. I did tell him I don't like Utah. Um, I, hadn't, I didn't have a lot of experience in Utah, a little bit. My sister lived here. Coincidentally enough, my sister lived here uh, for a couple years. She followed a boy from high school. He was a quarterback at BYU. His name was John Walsh. Started there in uh, 93, 94, and, uh, and so she followed him out here, and, and uh, I'd come out twice and visit my sister while she was living in Salt Lake, and um, that was really my only experience, and then maybe driving through once or twice through from the 70, coming from Kansas to, to the 15 and through, that was about it, you know, but it was enough. <laughs> Lord, I don't want to go to Utah. I don't like Utah, and he said go, but you know what? He didn't tell me that in seven years, you know, I'm going to be standing here with the church and, you know, and the things that God was going to do in the hearts and lives of the people over the last seven years that, that we've been part of seeing God's, God's move and, and being able to be a blessing. And, um, you know, we didn't know any of this. You know, we had nothing. We knew nobody. But we came because God told us to go. It didn't make sense. You know, everything at home was good. First thing that Pastor Terry, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake, Lydia and I showed up was around Thanksgiving time, um, 2012, and it was when God had first told us that we were supposed to come here. So we go to meet with Pastor Terry. And he says, the first thing I want to know, is your church getting rid of you or are they sending you out? Like, are they done with you and they just want to get rid of you? And I said, I don't know. The, the pastor is sending his own daughter. I hope that he's not trying to get rid of her, you know. And it was a hard thing for Pastor Gerald to do, send his daughter and his grandchildren out. But when God calls for fruit, you give it, you know. And when God calls for you know, and you don't think that Pastor Gerald wanted to, we had a private Christian school and the boys were in school and, and I worked there and Gerald worked there and every day he got to see his grandkids and his daughter and watch his, watch his grandkids grow up playing sports under his own tutelage and, you know, but, but all that, you wouldn't, how would you say no when God called for the fruit? A verse that God gave Lydia around that season, you know, as God was working in our hearts to come and be obedient and leave what was good and what was comfortable and, um, and, and there's a verse and it's in Isaiah. It says that if, if God calls for the fruit on the vine and you don't give it, the fruit that you do have on the vine will rot. And we had a fruitful ministry where we were. And God called for the fruit. But if we didn't give the fruit that God called for when he called it, the fruit that we did have was eventually going to rot and it was time to step out. And so um, in, in Philip's life, it's, just, it's, it's a good story how he just went. And then in verse 27 it says, So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So now the spirit is talking to Philip. How did the spirits talk to Philip? 
How does the Spirit talk to you? Let me ask you this. Have you guys, I don't know, like, let me tell you something. The, the world thinks, I think it was Mike Pence or somebody, it was like, and like God spoke to him about something. And then the girls on The View were like, it's mental illness. Like, it's one thing to, but for, that God speaks to you, you hear these voices. And they made so much fun of this simple idea that as Christians, we believe God can speak to us. Like, they're the ones that have mental illness, not us. You know, um, it's not foreign at all. One thing God is really good at is speaking to his people, is speaking to you and I. And it's different, but, but when you know the will of God, listen, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a relationship. God likens it in John chapter 10. You can check it out for yourselves if you want for homework. John chapter 10, he talks about a sheep and a shepherd. Psalm 23, John chapter 10. And in this relationship between a sheep and a shepherd, over a period of time, they get to know one another. And, and they, they know how to communicate. The shepherd knows how to communicate to the sheep very effectively because, because they've built this relationship. God knows how to communicate to you very effectively. One of the ways God speaks to me more times than not, because we have it now, is through the word of God. It's through the Bible. God speaks to me in a still, small voice. More times than not, God speaks to me through my wife, saying, I told you so. <laughs> you know, in Ephesians, it says that we should have mutual submission, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And sometimes she's right and I'm wrong. Don't tell her. And I have to listen to my wife. Um, more times, right? Or she, she thinks she's right. She's like the Fonz sometimes. How many of you guys remember the Fonzie? You gotta be, you gotta be a certain age to get this one. Remember what the Fonz couldn't say? Nobody. You just gotta go watch Happy Days, man. What's wrong with this group? Some, seriously, where can you find Happy Day reruns? I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm prescribing Happy Day reruns for your Sunday afternoon. And I remember the Fonzie thing. I, I, I'm, 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 and he couldn't say he was sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm. I meet my wife sometimes. She's like the Fonz. But when, you, when you're right all the time, I guess you don't need to apologize, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, we are talking about, now, again, you know, even in the call to move to Tooele, it is true. Like, God had to speak to Lydia. She, he had to speak to me. If God just told me I was supposed to come and move and, and, and plant a church, and God didn't also speak to Lydia, it was going to create all kinds of problems in ministry and in life for her and I as a couple when we got here. So we had to, we had to wait where God spoke clearly to both of us. And, and in those big things, God will and can and needs to. And God, God is able to speak to you. So God here speaks to Philip, and he says, he says, I want you to go and overtake this chariot. And Philip understands the will of the Lord. And in our life, in your life, in my life, it's not, it's not rocket science to know the will of God. And God will speak to you. And when he speaks, you, you, you be obedient. And he doesn't always tell you the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, and, and you just follow. And it says, so he arose. And he went, verse 27, and behold, a man of Ethiopian eunuch of great authority. Now, let's talk about this really quickly. How did, the, okay, so this Ethiopian, where does he live? Back row. Where does the Ethiopian live? In Ethiopia. And so he's traveling from Ethiopia to where? Brian, where's he headed? Brian, where's he headed? He's headed to Jerusalem. And what is he going to do? Why is he going to Jerusalem, from Ethiopia to Jerusalem? To worship. To worship. Why, why would a black 
Ethiopian go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship? Well, somehow, I mean, in those days, right, it wasn't because he saw a podcast or he caught a YouTube version channel of something. Somewhere, he knew something about the God of Israel. And and what what actually we know from history is there was a, a large pocket of Ethiopian Jews who were practicing a very pure form of Judaism in Ethiopia. Where did they come from? Well, um, lots of different, not lots, several different kind of postulations about where they came and how they got there. But the most credible one is the one that we have from the Bible. And you guys remember King Solomon? King Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. He was the richest man that ever lived. He was the smartest man that ever lived. He was the wisest man that ever lived. He was the sexiest man that ever lived. Um, and, and, and so this queen of Sheba or this queen of Ethiopia in Solomon's day, she hears about the splendor of Solomon and she travels from Ethiopia to come see this king of Israel. Remember the story? It's recorded in your Bible. And it says that when she got there, she said, man, half of it wasn't told to me. And they exaggerated your story and how great you were. And I was coming and expecting to be let down by what I actually saw. But what I found was it's way greater. You're way greater. This, what you've built is way greater than even the stories say. It's not been told to me the half of who you are. And tradition says that the queen of Ethiopia or the queen of Sheba in Solomon's day, that she asked a request of Solomon, something she wanted to bring back to Ethiopia. Any idea what she requested? A son. And that she went back to Ethiopia pregnant with Solomon's son. And, and that from, and also people from Israel went with her, accompanied her, and began to teach Judaism in Ethiopia. And this, this group of Ethiopian Jews grew in Ethiopia. You know, to this day, if you do a Google search and you search um, the Ark of the Covenant, you know one of the theories where the Ark of the Covenant is hiding today? Is in Ethiopia. I mean, some of you guys have heard that. What's the connection? Kind of weird, right? Like, why would the, the Jewish Ark of the Covenant be in Ethiopia? Which I don't think it is, but... There's lots of folklore and history about it. Well, the story goes that this, this queen of Sheba goes back to Ethiopia. She has Solomon's son. When he's 16, he travels to meet his dad in Israel, spends some time with Solomon, and he asks Solomon as his heir and his son if he could have the Ark of the Covenant and take it back with him. Well, obviously Solomon tells him no, and so when he leaves, they, he stole it and he took it back to Egypt. Now, somewhere in Israel's history, biblical history, after Solomon, the the Ark of the Covenant disappears off the pages of the Bible. We're not really sure where it went. And everybody has different theories of where it is today. um, But that's one of the ideas. Now, I'm I'm not, I don't believe that at all, because I'm pretty sure in the day when Solomon realized that the Ark of the Covenant was gone, if that story was true, he would have had to send an army to go get it. They wouldn't have let his son stole the Ark. But nonetheless... We have this group of Ethiopian Jews now that are in Ethiopia. So we know how Judaism got to Ethiopia. What's cool is that this Ethiopian eunuch, for the first time, he's going to come to Israel. He's going to end up in the temple. He's going to leave the Jewish worship center more confused than when he came. And and, and then God is going to bring Philip to give him the gospel. And he's going to, what is he going to bring back to Ethiopia this time that's different? Christianity. He's going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ back to Ethiopia. Well, the story goes on. It gets a little bit fascinating, just, just interestingly enough. This creates this, this prophecy and this folklore within, within Ethiopia to this day. 
And the prophecy went something like God was going to raise up a, a black leader or king in Ethiopia because they were under apartheid and communist rule and there were whites that were ruling the government um, in Ethiopia for a long time. Well, in 1974, a guy by the name of Haile Selassie, who fulfilled a Rastafarian uh, uh, prophecy, becomes the, the king of Ethiopia. Haile Selassie um, is who Bob Marley and his, his band of Rastafarianism worshipped. And they believed that Haile, Haile Selassie was the, the Messiah that they were looking for. Well, it comes from this, this Ethiopian Jewish kind of connection. And then Haile Selassie is on the throne and it fulfills this, this biblical prophecy and then he's overthrown by the communists and he goes into exile. Well, in Israel in 1974, um, they sent... Uh, the, the Netflix actually made a movie about it called Red Sea Scuba Diving something. You can look it up. It's a good movie. You can watch it this afternoon after you get done watching Happy Days. Um, on Netflix, true story. It's called Operation Moses. And so in, in 74, Israel goes to Ethiopia and they capture 6,500 Ethiopian Jews and, and, and do what's called Aliyah or return to homeland. And they return back to, to Israel where they live now. So when we go to Israel, you will notice that there are black Jews in Israel. And you wonder, how did we get, you know, black or African Jews in Israel? And um, that's where they came from. They came from Ethiopia. And then in 1994, the government opened up like a 36, 48-hour window because there were still many of these Ethiopian Jews who were in um, Ethiopia, Sudan, in that area that were, that were still kind of under oppression. And, and, and Jews had a heart for them. They were Jews. Even though they were Ethiopians and born and raised and lived in Ethiopia, they were Ethiopian Jews, and they wanted to bring them back to Israel for Aliyah. So in 94 or 92, somewhere in there, they had one more, oper- one more stab at Operation Moses. And they brought planes, tons and tons of cargo planes, and landed them, and they loaded... Anyone take a wild guess? 90,000 Ethiopian Jews onto cargo planes in 94 and brought them back to Israel where they live today. So now in Israel... There's a population of Ethiopian Jews. Now you know the rest of the story. I'm not Paul Harvey. Um, actually, you don't know the rest of the story. Let me tell you a cool little twist on the rest of the story. So, the, um, so with this Ethiopian folklore, somehow, which I don't know all this part, but it ties into the Rastafarian religion and Rastafarian belief stuff that Bob Marley was a part from. So if you, you know, Bob Marley, if you listen to his stuff, he sings a lot about what seemed to be like biblical or Christian things and he talks about different stuff, messiahs and um, different things in his songs. Well, when Bob got cancer, the last place he ended up was in a hospital um, in Oklahoma, I think. And he spent about the last three years of three months of his life there. And the doctor and Bob's cousin, female cousin, who spent a lot of time with him in those years, Bob Marley's, in those last three months of his, of his life before he died, were both Baptist Christians and led Bob Marley to Jesus, the story goes that Bob Marley received Jesus in those last three months of his life. And, and on the day that he died, um, the, the, the extended family came from Jamaica and wherever they were, and they were all surrounding Bob Marley's bed. And the story goes that when Bob Marley died, he said, Jesus, come get me. And the people all around him, his cousin, the female cousin who led him to Jesus, and the doctor, they knew what was going on. But the rest of the family had no idea. And one of them said, Bob, don't you mean Haley Selassie? Because he was supposed to be their Messiah. But guess what? If, if that's true, 
I'm, I'm praying. I hope it is. We're going to have good reggae music in heaven. <laughs> I'm excited about that. All right, so that's the Ethiopian connection in Israel. Oh, brother. You got to get out more. So the Ethiopian eunuch in verse 27 and then in verse 28 it says, When returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. And so Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? Philip said to him. And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip, Come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. As he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Oh, by the way, if you guys see me driving down the street and I'm bumping Bob Marley like really loud and I'm doing this in my car, it's all sanctified now. He's a Christian. He's in heaven. God forgave him for, for starting a marijuana revolution in the United States and around the world that's killed millions. But... Um, He's good now. Um, so he comes in the chariot, and, and coincidentally enough, now you can highlight in your, in your Bible in verse, in verse 30, we get this kind of same progression from Philip, that Philip, it says he ran. How did he get to the chariot? He ran. He didn't walk. He didn't, he, 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 this immediate obedience. Same thing when the angel spoke to him in verse 26, in 27, immediately he went down and, and he arose and he followed. And so we have this immediate obedience to the will of God in Philip's life repeated over and over again. And again, that's a lesson for you. Immediate obedience to the will of God. Not guessing. We already talked about that, right? We don't guess. When we know the will of God, we immediately obey. And if you don't know the will of God, you table it, you wait, you, you confirm it, you talk to your spouse, you talk to your family, you talk to your pastor, you talk to people that love you and love Jesus, you read the word, you get in the word. But once you know the will of God, then you immediately obey. And so he runs to Philip. It doesn't say how far or he ran to, to get in this chariot. It doesn't tell us how far he ran, how much time he saved. If he ran 10 miles... He saved a little bit of time. If he ran 10 steps, he saved like 10 seconds. So it doesn't tell us how much time he saved, but he ran. And when he got there, cool, cool enough, coincidentally enough, the guy is reading about specifically about Jesus in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. In one of the most um, pointed passages in the entire Bible that talk about Jesus. Now, do you think this happened by chance? No, the Holy Spirit was already leading the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch, coincidentally enough, listen, he wasn't even a believer in Jesus. And yet the Holy Spirit is still speaking to him. The Holy Spirit is still leading him and having him open his Bible that day to where the Holy Spirit needed him to be. And, and when Philip gets there, this thing is like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, we pray, I pray as, as a Christian, God, give me an opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus. Somebody who's far from God to be brought to you. Somebody to bring somebody to faith. And then one day, just sitting there minding my own business, my phone rings. It's a friend from high school. Chris, God's really been working on my heart. What do I do to get saved? Yeah, dude, this is shooting fish in a barrel, man. This one's done. I didn't, I didn't even do nothing. You know, that's good living when your friend calls you from the past. And it's just like, hey, tell me about Jesus. You know, and we pray every day, Lord, let me tell my friend about Jesus. Let me tell my friend about Jesus. And then they call you out of the blue. It happens. Well, here Philip shows up. I mean, this thing is almost a done deal, but Philip has to be obedient, and God needs a man. 
And in verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I think, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or the other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached. Hey, let's try again. You guys following along with me in your Bibles? Okay, we're in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, he preached Jesus Jesus to him. You know what? You know, let me tell you something. It's really cool. He was in Isaiah 53. He could have been in in Psalm 22. That's another one. Write that down. Psalm 22. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, amazing messianic passages in the Old Testament about Jesus. But it didn't matter. It wouldn't matter. True, check this out. It wouldn't matter where he was in the Bible. He could have been in Numbers 14. And guess what Numbers 14 is about? Jesus. He could have been in Exodus 32. Guess what Exodus 32 is about in your Old Testament? It's about Jesus. Guess what every page of your Old Testament is all about? It's about Jesus. Every part of it, every bit of it points to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus rose from the grave and he, and he showed up and there's two guys walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus just starts walking next to him and they don't recognize who he is and, and, and they're like, hey, and he's like, hey guys, why are you sad? And they're like, what do you, had your head in a hole? You don't know what's going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus is like, nah, I don't know what's going on. Why are you sad? And they're like, well, there was a guy, Jesus, and we had hoped that he would be our Messiah. And, and, then, and then it says that Jesus opened their eyes so they knew who he was. And then it says, beginning at Moses, where do we find Moses in the Bible? In the book of Genesis, about halfway through. And, and, and beginning at Moses, he, he walked these two guys on the road to Emmaus through the Old Testament and showed them and taught them all the things that were talking about Jesus. So Jesus this is through the, old, the old, old entire Old Testament. That's why it's important that we read it. It's important that we know it. It's important that we, we use it and understand it in order to help us understand New Testament stuff. It's valuable. It's important. So, so, um, so he's in this amazing place. And then verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. You guys ever heard the saying, always be a witness for Jesus, and if necessary, use words. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> How do you be a witness if you don't use words? What are you, like a mime? Always be a witness for Jesus. I don't know. Like, No, I, I get it. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. That, that saying does carry some merit of its own, that, that you, you, you witness with your life, and especially in your own hometown. When you're at Thanksgiving with your family that you grew up with and they know how many drugs you did in the 60s, you, you're probably not going to be as effective telling them about Jesus as a complete stranger who doesn't know how many drugs you did in the 60s. So, um, so in that situation, there, there's a time where your actions just speak louder than your words. I get that. But listen, every place in the Bible where the gospel is being shared, you have to open your mouth. There comes a point where you've you got to use words. You, you have to use words to share the gospel. You just have to pray for God to give you a divine opportunity, appointment. You don't want to do it in the flesh. Don't show up at your Thanksgiving dinner with your unsaved family and decide you're going to go get everybody saved and preach Jesus and just start, you know, start a fight in the flesh. Now, if God's Holy Spirit has led you and empowered you and prepared their hearts, it's going to go totally different. But make sure it's a thing of the Spirit. But he opens his mouth and he preaches Jesus to him. It's all about Jesus, you guys. Jesus is not the main thing. He's not, or he's not the only thing, the main thing. He is the everything, the only thing. I just can't emphasize enough. It's all about Jesus. And now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, you, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. The word baptized there, just coincidentally enough, it, it, the Greek word means full immersion. That's why we've decided that that's the way God wants us to baptize folks, right or wrong. I'm never going to fight with anybody over the right or wrong way to get somebody wet because it's a matter of the heart, but that's, that is where it comes from. Now, what, what was natural to the Ethiopian eunuch was after he asked Jesus in his heart, he felt this desire to be water baptized. So I'm encouraging all of you, if you've never been water baptized as a Christ follower, it's important. Water baptism doesn't save you. I will not baptize you if you're not already saved. Once you become saved and you are born again, then we baptize you as an outward symbol of what's inwardly taking place in your heart. Now, when the, when the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, what, can I get baptized? What was Philip's answer? He said, do you believe with your whole heart? Like, is it real to you? And, and, and maybe he's just coming off this story with Simon and this fake conversion that we studied in the first half of this chapter with Simon. He kind of saw Simon as a little bit of a faker. And so he's like making sure with, with the Ethiopian eunuch, I want to make sure you're a believer. And then um, when I baptize you, how many of you guys, coincident, curiously, how many of you guys did I baptize in here? Raise your hand if I baptize couple of you. Awesome. Praise God. My pleasure. My favorite thing in ministry and life to do is baptize folks. Um, but when I baptize you, if you raise your hand, you know this. Before I baptized you, I asked you two questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? And you had to say yes. And then if you say yes to that question, I'll ask you a second question. Have you asked in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? And if you can say yes to both of those questions, then we baptize you. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? Have you asked him in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? Well, why not? If your answer was no. If your answer was, I think so, probably not so. You know, look, look at verse really quick. Look at um, the bottom of verse 37. The Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's the biblical reference that, that I use for my baptisms um, in asking you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God? And have you asked him in your heart? That's where, the, that's where it comes from. And in verse 38, it says, So he commanded the chariot, oh, he baptized in verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, um, you can close your Bibles if you want, but as the worship team comes up, let me... Um, let me just let, give me two more minutes, you guys, just to highlight this last section here. It says that when they came up out of the water, that the Lord caught Philip up. And the next place you see him is, is a place called Azotus, which is 20 miles away. The same word used here that caught Philip up. So it was miraculous. What happened was Philip baptized him. They come up and the Lord catches Philip away in a, in a personal rapture. The, the Ethiopian eunuch is like, where'd that guy go? He was just right here. The, the same thing happens a couple other times in the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus came out to the boat and the, the disciples were rowing in the storm and everything was all messed up? And it says Jesus got on the boat and immediately they were on the other side of the shore. Same word, this rapture that caught them up to the other side. Paul, the apostle Paul, he was stoned one time, and um, not, not on weed. He was, he was stoned with rocks and they, they threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And he said, I know a man who, who, who was caught up to meet the Lord in the third heaven. Now, now this is, was Paul's experience, the same word. He was caught up. It was just like this personal rapture. It's the same word 
that Paul tells us in Thessalonians that you and I are going to be raptured one day. That the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So that so God does this kind of miraculous little thing with Philip and, and just takes him and carries him 20 miles away. I want to I do that. So we try it like, like Dorothy did it like this. Kansas, you know, but God just did it in Philip's life, which was kind of cool. Now, listen, last thing. Philip, Philip's such a cool guy in the Bible. Acts chapter 6, he's just a servant in the church. He's waiting tables. He's passing out goods. He's helping the ladies with the daily distributions. He's cleaning. He's doing duties around the church. Acts chapter 8, God calls him into some bigger ministry, and he's preaching the gospel to Samaritans. The last half of Acts chapter 8, God takes him away from the Samaritans and gives him a a pretty big opportunity to be a part of bringing the gospel that's going to end up in Africa and knowing that this Ethiopian eunuch is going to be filled with the Spirit and bring the gospel back to Africa and the gospel is going to begin to spread in Africa through the the Ethiopian eunuch's ministry. And then the next place we're going to see Philip is Acts 21. He's still in the same region of, of, of Israel where we left him right here, where he's going to end up in that area of Caesarea. He's still there, 20 years later, Acts 21, but it says he has four virgin daughters who prophesy. And of all the things that God did in his life, you know what really was the crowning achievement of Philip? When all this was done, he just lived his life as a, as a father, as a girl dad. And he raised godly children. He raised, he raised four girls. He lived a pretty normal life. You know, and there's something to that for you and I. Maybe we're not going to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus or get caught up in a personal rapture or wait tables on the early church, but every one of us can be parents and, and, and share the gospel with those that, that are in our lives. You know, now Philip becomes really the, the prime example. You know, I know Kobe's kind of trying to take that title of being the, the, the world's greatest example of girl dad, but he was a good one. But Philip is the original girl dad. And he just lived the life there, still doing God's will, still doing ministry, he didn't, you know, wasn't grandeur and all this crazy. You don't hear about him anymore. Just lived his life following Jesus, raising these four beautiful daughters. And all four of them were virgins. They were pure. They loved God. And every one of them had the gift of prophecy. And they prophesied. And, and God used them in a mighty way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hey, as always, we're going to give everybody who's in this chapel this afternoon an opportunity to get your heart and your life right with Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know if you're going to heaven, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray to ask God to take you to heaven and forgive you of your sins, to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says in Revelation 22 that if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that you're going to go to hell, that you're you're going to be caught in the second death, which is eternal flame, eternal fire for all of eternity. And, and, And to get your name written in that Lamb's book of life, it's a surrender of your heart and life to Jesus by faith. There's a, there's a lot to walk it out. The Bible says you, you, you walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that talks about from the moment you become a Christ follower until the moment you die, there is a process that you'll walk in, that you'll grow in, that you'll become a disciple of Jesus and there'll be buy-in and commitment that God is going to require from you. But there has to be a starting place and that starting place is you realizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And just simply recognizing that no matter how good you are, you can never earn your way to salvation. All you can do is receive a free gift that God offers you. As he sent his son Jesus, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross to reconcile you back to God. There was no other solution that the God, the creator of heaven, could come up with to bring you and I to heaven and make us worthy other than 
to make himself die in your place and my place. And so God himself comes out of heaven, Jesus, and he dies on a cross. And he says, if you'll look to that cross by faith and you'll receive me, that that I'll enter your heart and I'll enter your life and my Holy Spirit will make residence in you and your body will become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that, when my Father sees you and when the Father judges you one day on heaven or hell, he's going to look into your heart and your life and he's going to see Jesus and he's going to welcome you into the kingdom. He's not going to see your sins. And whether you're good or bad, none of that matters. It's all that matters is if you have Jesus in your life and in your heart. And when he looks at it and he sees it, you're welcome in heaven. So if you're not sure today, if you, if you are a born-again believer, I'm going to ask you to pray. And maybe everybody will pray out loud and one of you will really mean it. And God's going to recognize and know who you are in here this morning. But if you mean it from your heart and you say it, God's going to save you. And you don't need to say it a million times. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus in here, you're saved can't lose that salvation. You can recommit. You can ask God to bring you closer in intimacy and relationship, but you don't need to get resaved. You're already saved. But if you're not sure in here today, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. I ask the whole church to pray out loud just so that if you are in here and you're new or maybe maybe make you feel a little bit more comfortable in praying this prayer. But if you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior, if you want to become born again, pray with me together. Let's pray as a church. Dear Lord Jesus, Please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. If you just joined the kingdom of God. The Bible says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner who is saved. God bless you guys. We love you guys. I ask for three more minutes of your life before you leave. Let's worship the Lord together. The pastors and leaders are up front to pray for you. The prayer room is open when you leave here. If you'd like to talk to somebody, go out of these doors, make a left down that hallway, and the prayer team is up there, and they want to pray for you. They want to talk to you. They want to encourage you. They want to lay hands on you. Um, whatever you need in your life, you can go out of these doors and make a left. And we want to we continue to minister to you there in that room. If you'd like to come forward as we sing, come forward as we sing. Lord bless you guys. Have a great week.